We are in John chapter 10. If you're using a Bible in the pew right there, it's in page 896. You can turn there. We're going to be reading in chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I, may not, and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was a division among the Jews because of these words. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been here the last three or four weeks, you have realized that as we walk through the Scripture and walk through the Gospels, that Jesus is creating an incredible stir right now. It's going to get Him crucified in just a short while. He really is unsettling the religious leaders at this point in the text. In fact, He is making some statements that are just, in their minds, preposterous. Listen to what he just read in verse 18. This is what Jesus said. No one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Just just stop and think about that if you're those religious leaders, what he just said. First half isn't so hard. We can step in front of a train and take our life. But the second half of taking it up again made no sense to them. Really? He was making incredible claims here. In fact, if you read just a little farther than where Pastor Jason stopped, the next words, they say this about him. He has a demon or he is insane. And that is exactly what you should think when you read those words. Or, He is God. Those are the two options. We have talked about that for several weeks now. You cannot read the words of Jesus in 
the Scriptures, in the Gospels, and come to any other conclusion, really. Oh, maybe he's lying, but he said it so often, he'd have to be a lunatic to continue that lie. It's really, he is either a lunatic, as they say here, he's out of his mind, or he's God. That is the question. And it takes the groups two different directions, as we talked about last week in John chapter 9. You go one of two ways in regards to that. You either love it or you hate it. I believe with all of my heart that if, if Jesus is really clearly presented with who he claimed to be, you either love that or you hate that. And the reason there's something in the middle of that is you're not clearly seeing what he said and who he claimed to be. When you really get it, and they were getting it, that's exactly what was happening. They were going in two different directions. One was going toward him. In one sense, the blind man of chapter 9. It was talking about a man blind from birth, but it was really talking about spiritual blindness. That man's sight was becoming clearer and clearer. The blind man's sight, his spiritual sight, clearer and clearer. And the sight of the Pharisees and the religious leaders was becoming darker and darker. It's one of two things. It either gets clearer and clearer or darker and darker, and there's no middle ground in that. One of two ways when you look at what Jesus says. Look at it in the scripture. Look at it in two different places in chapter 9 now. We were there last week. Verse 24. This is the second time now that the Pharisees come to him as we talked about last week. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Now, don't take that the way it really is is there. That's not what it, it doesn't mean give glory to God in the sense that we would think of that. It means come clean. Be honest. Be honest. We know this man is a sinner. That's what they wanted him to proclaim. That he's a sinner. That's where the hearts of those who were becoming darker and darker were going. He is a sinner. He's a sinner. And then you go down to verse 38. And you begin to see the response of the man whose sight was becoming clearer and clearer. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him, it says. You see the progression? You, you go one of two ways. It either gets clearer and clearer or darker and darker when you really look at what Jesus had to say. You have one of two options. You either, and I don't say this lightly, but you either come to blasphemy Are you bow and worship? The only reason there's middle ground is because people have blurred what he said. If you don't believe me, read it. If you're wrestling with what I just said as being too extreme a statement, read what he said. Read the Gospels. Go to them and look at what Jesus said. Get a Bible that has it in red. Just read his words. Our culture wants to make up a Jesus that is much more palatable, 
to the pluralistic age we live in. But Jesus didn't do it that way. And as I've said multitudes of times and several times just the last weeks, you can believe every road goes to heaven. You just can't believe Jesus taught that. He didn't. He didn't. He said to get to the Father, you come through me. Again and again in the scripture. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time to back up into chapter 9 and then we're going to move on to chapter 10. Last week, I got cut short in time and so couldn't really draw as crisp a lines as I wanted to at the end. I looked up to the clock and realized it was way past time when I was not quite ready yet to land. And so I didn't do a very good job of landing that plane. And so I want to land it again this morning. A couple of things from chapter 9, then we're going to move to chapter 10. Two points that I want to to reemphasize this morning as we looked at that. And we looked at the progression. If you weren't here, we looked at the progression of this blind man, how his sight got clearer and clearer and clearer, and how he was interrogated again and again by the Pharisees trying to find any grounds any grounds to discount the miracle that had clearly happened. But in the midst of that, we see the Pharisees fumbling around. We see the the dilemmas that they put themselves into time and time again. And the first one comes in verse 16. This this was a dilemma that arose for them here in chapter 9 and verse 16. Because there were some of them who, who said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Do you see Do you see what's happening there? There was a group of these Pharisees that had a preconceived false notion about who Jesus was. And, and really not so much about who he was, but who the Messiah was to be who was coming. And, and some false notions about about the scriptures that they were so steeped in and full of. They started in the wrong place. And so when Jesus comes along and does certain things, he can't be God. There's no way. He's a sinner. I mean, that's their conclusion. He is sinning. Now, that can't be the case. Jesus was without sin. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. They thought he was clearly sinning. It's because their foundations were wrong. But then there's another group that says, surely only someone of God could do the things that this man has done. And so there's, there's, they're caught. They, they see what he's done. They see the miracle. They can't discount the miracle, but they can't put it into their hat that this man could be anything other than a sinner because of the wrong notions that they have planted there. Now, I think there's a real a real thing for us to draw something important for us this morning. I see this time and time again. And and I think it goes back to the core. And this is what I would say, not in an Old Testament sense. Certainly they were they were looking at what it was looking toward and they had those notions wrong about this Messiah that was to come. That's why they couldn't accept Jesus as that Messiah. I mean, they knew the scriptures forward and backward. They knew them. They just got them wrong, their interpretation of those scriptures. For us now, where we're at today, I see it, it continues to happen. And, and where people get it wrong is they get the gospel wrong. 
If you get the starting point wrong, it's going to take you to wrong places. That's why it is so important that we get the gospel right. That we know what that good news is and why it is good news. And the reason that has happened today in our culture, the reason that we are in such trouble in many ways is because we have downplayed, we have downplayed theology. And all theology means is what we believe about God. We've, we've downplayed it to the point where, where we use words and they have no definition to us. We really don't know what they mean. And if you, if you get started in the wrong place, if you don't fundamentally get the gospel correct, you're going you're gonna to get in trouble, just like these men got themselves in trouble. They got to the point where they could not, they could not embrace Jesus because they fundamentally thought he was full of sin. He was a sinner. How could a sinner be of God? We need to be so careful. The, the world, church world today is full of, of, of moralistic foundations that are not the gospel. And that's exactly what they had. More moralistic kinds of foundations steeped in the law and moralism and legalism. And, and they missed. They missed what it was all pointing to. They missed the truth because they started in the wrong place. I'm grateful today that there is a movement going about in the in the church world today to bring the gospel back to the center to bring it back where it needs to be and to define what it is and to live there and it's so easy if we don't if you don't do that so today i would say to you this is this is how i would draw this today know what the gospel is and if you don't talk to somebody know it don't just use the word but why why, when we talk about the gospel is for believers as well as unbelievers, what does that mean? Don't just let those words fly over the top of your head, but ask hard questions so you get the foundation correct because you see what happens when they don't. It, it, it leads to horrible places. Ultimately, leads to blasphemy. That can't be of God. What clearly was... Here of the Holy Spirit, God can't be of Him. They get it wrong. The second thing that uh, I want to say in this whole idea of theologically stumbling blocks is 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 I want to talk about um, I want to talk about here what Jesus meant as we closed the service last week. In John chapter 9. Look, look with me there. He, he says something very strange. And I didn't do a very good job of tying this as well. Um, pick it up there at verse 35. And let's read on there so we get the whole context. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this is when he comes back to, the, to the, uh, the man who had been interrogated twice. And they expelled him out. They excommunicated him in essence. And that's where the man makes his profession uh, that, that he embraces this Christ. He worships this Christ, I believe, and he worshiped, it says. Well, then some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, and to Jesus, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt 
remains. What, what does that mean, that they're blind and not blind, and you see, and so you have... What, what is he saying there? What, what is he trying to point out to them? Let me read to you what another says about that particular statement. It says, Jesus came to open their eyes to give them light of the revelation that will enable them to see. But those who see, which is Jesus' cryptic and ironic way of saying, those who think they see, like the Pharisees in this chapter, who make so many confident pronouncements but who are profoundly wrong, inevitably inevitably reject the true light when it comes. So certain are they that they can see, they utterly reject any suggestion to the contrary and thereby, and thereby confirm their own darkness. The tragic conclusion is the foreseen result of Jesus' coming and in that sense part of its purpose and part of what his purpose in coming it was to, to help those who are blind to see and those who think they see to realize they're blind. He divides. That whole idea that we either love Him or we blaspheme Him. We either love Him or we hate Him. That is what happens when Jesus comes. Now, He came to seek and to save those that are lost. He came to save. But in His coming to save, there inevitably will be some that will be lost because they have to make that decision. Of who he is. It comes down to, 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 to him being the dividing of both. And here these Pharisees, they thought they saw. They were really blind. They showed their, their blindness. It goes on to write, Pastorally speaking, John is again stressing the point that a certain poverty of spirit and abasement of personal pride, especially over one's religious opinions, and a candid acknowledgement of spiritual blindness are indispensable characteristics of a person who receives spiritual sight and true revelation at the hands of Jesus. Sadly, some Pharisees who were listening in on this assessment understood little of it and utterly self-centered. They wanted only to find out whether Jesus thought his statements about the blind applied to them. With profound irony, Jesus replies, If you were blind in the sense that I have spoken of blindness as a lost condition that cries out for illumination, then you would not be guilty of sin. In particular, the claim that you can see. That's exactly what happens there. It it causes that division. And so so I would say to you, how do we apply that to us? How How do we live in light of what's said there, the warning that's given? I believe with all of my heart that if you truly see not the sight that the Pharisees claim to have and that's what makes me see this even more clearly. If you truly see it leads to a humility. It leads to a poverty of spirit. It it leads to a realization that God has been gracious to help me to see. Whenever pride rises up, it is a dangerous thing. And the true life of one who sees, and the more he sees, the more clearly he sees the magnificence of Christ, the more we see it, 
the more humbly we walk with our God because we realize that sight has been granted to us. These Pharisees believed they saw that they granted it unto themselves. And in reality, they didn't see. They were blind. Progress in the Christian life. Progress in the Christian life. Progress in this walk with our God always is progress in humility. Because we realize that God gave us sight. It's just like this blind man. I was blind, but now I see. I hope that's the spirit of our hearts and our lives. I was, I was blind. All of us were blind. All of us missed the glory of Christ at one moment in our lives. We missed it. We didn't see it. We, in, in a sense, hated it. But if we're a Christian today, we now see. And humility should be characteristic of that. And exactly what Jesus came against the Pharisees here. He came against them because they were proud and full of themselves and thought they saw when they really were blind. And this is an incredibly dangerous condition. As I read some of the commentators on this passage, I, I've read some of the harshest um, harshest things that you can read when you you talk about the sin in the new testament talks blasphemy against the holy spirit i mean they border on that here and this they border there it's a dangerous place to be a place where where many of them many of them are coming to a point i think beyond repentance there's a place that that can happen as we as we resist as we stick in our blindness. Now, I think, I think if God is beckoning us to come, we're not beyond repentance. But, but at this point, some of these were in terribly dangerous places. Because Jesus divides, it creates blasphemy or it creates love. And there's no real middle ground. Now, what I want to do is move on. Because Jesus doesn't stop there. It's interesting in this text. He does not, the, the, the writers who divvied up the New Testament so that we could better find places that we want to read, made chapters and made verses, but that was not in the original. Originally it was just written. And there is no break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. In other words, the scene does not change. But Jesus is continuing to drive home his point to the religious leaders here. He's continuing to, 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 to say to them, and to define what he means when he talks about them being guilty and being blind in the, in the fact that they think they see. He turns now the, the, the thing and, and he makes things in one sense clearer to some and at the same time more offensive to the others. That's exactly what happens here. If you start to read and you go into verse 1 of chapter 10, there's a group that stuff is getting clearer. They're seeing better and better. And there's a group that it is getting darker and darker, more offensive, more angry. Look at it there in, in the first few verses, verses 1 through 5. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. If you're a Pharisee, you know what he just did. He just called you a thief and he called you a robber. There's no doubt. They know what he was saying. They know it was directed to them. They know it flows right out of the thoughts about blindness. He's just driving home the point more and more. Thief 
and robbers. You understand a little bit of the, of the circumstance of that day. What, what he was talking about here when he talks about the sheepfold, there were, there were communal sheepfolds in the countryside. And, and the shepherds would take their sheep into those sheepfolds and there would be several shepherd sheep in one fold. They would, they would be holding pens there for those sheep to be in. And so the shepherd could leave them there. They would be safe and he could go and then he could come back and he could call out his sheep and, and they would follow him. But here the inference is that that Jesus is saying to them, you're not true shepherds, you're robber, you're thieves, you're really not the shepherd of those sheep. Because what these true shepherds would do is they'd walk in there and they could walk in and walk out and the sheep would do nothing. But if they walked in and began to speak, the sheep would hear their voice and they would follow them. Only their sheep would leave with them. That's the way it worked. That's the way they called their sheep out. They didn't have, have tags like you farmers have. They just knew the voice but he but he says you you pharisees are robbers and thieves now remember last week when i said that whole idea of blindness the the old testament is full of references to blind seeing that was one of the evidences of the messiah and so when that man was healed and the evidence was that it was it was spiritual blindness jesus was talking about it should have risen up within the pharisees those passages. I mean, they were, they were that well trained. They knew the scriptures. They knew it. And so those verses should have come to their mind that it should have been part of the wrestling that went on in their souls as, as Jesus was claiming this, but he couldn't be because he's a sinner and yet he gives evidence. You see, that, that should have been going on. They were suppressing that as well. They also, now in this case, I think other passages would have come to their mind. And one of those is Ezekiel chapter 34. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament if you want to, or else just listen. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 34. This is the kind of thing, because those Pharisees were learned men, these verses would have come to their mind when Jesus talks about robbers and thieves. This is the word of the Lord through Ezekiel in chapter 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. 
strong words there and other places in the Old Testament about the religious leaders and how they weren't shepherds. Now, it doesn't say thieves and robbers, but they would have known that. They would have known those, those references and there would have been a connection to those kinds of things in their mind, even as Jesus spoke here in John chapter 10. Or Jesus spoke here in John chapter 10. Jesus was inferring some pretty tough stuff at this point. And then he goes on to do something else as you read on in this passage. After he indicts them there and after he he makes reference to all of this, then he says something about himself. He says to these shepherds that I am both the door of of the sheep pen and I am also the shepherd. Now, this is, this is where it gets interesting. This is, this is where you can just imagine what was going on. This debate, that, this, this thing that continues to divide the crowd. You can, you can realize they must have been talking among one another. How The Pharisees had to say, that's foolish. That's foolishness. How, how can this man be both the door, the gate... And also the shepherd who goes in and gets his sheep. How can that be? How can he be both? That was one response. The Pharisees. The, just, just more contempt. More contempt for this man. And I think there was others. There was another group there who would have said, tell us more. Tell us more. This blind man, for instance. The man whose sight was getting clearer and clearer. Not darker and darker, but clearer and clearer. He probably said, tell me how. Tell me. Tell me what it means for you to be the gate and the shepherd. The attitude was different. The division was different. The division was stark between the two responses. There was a stirring. You read down in verse 19 and it talks about that division. Some of it. It's a whole division that rose up. And so Jesus, I think, tells them some. He, he explains some of that. He explains it to the blind who called it foolishness and he explains it to the desperate who found hope in his words that he was both. And I hope you do too. What does it mean for Jesus to be the door? What does it mean when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Again, a reference back to the Pharisees. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's explaining to those who who are listening because it's getting clearer and clearer. Certainly, Jesus' reference here is later reiterated in John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, except through me. Through the gate. Jesus was the gate. The way to get into the sheep pen was through the gate. So in that sense, he was the gate. And that gate promised two things. It promised safety. It promised also that he would would care for them. But it first of all promised safety. Jesus is our safety. He, he is the one who keeps us from the wolves. The purpose of going inside that gate was to keep the wolves away and to keep them at bay. The wolves, which would be sin. 
in the gate to entering in, entering into Christ. He deals with our sin problem. He deals with the wolf of death and he deals with the wolf of judgment. That's what Jesus is portraying here as the gate. That's the way to get in, to be safe. But more than that, the interesting thing, it's more than that. Also, I think he's promising pasture. Why do I think that? Look at verse 10. It says, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that they may have it abundantly. More than just life. More than just safety. I think the promise is safety and pasture. Abundant life. We've heard that distorted in lots of ways, I think. I'm not talking about those distortions. This abundance is not about stuff. It's about something else. It's about an overflowing life. It's about a deep life. It's about a weighty life. It's about a joyful life. More than mere survival, but a thriving. That these sheep would thrive as, as the shepherd watches over them. One man has said, it means this, I came that they might be saved and go and come and find pasture, protection and plenty, solid safety and deep soul satisfaction. Not about stuff, but about having peace and having joy and having God. That's what it's talking about here. That's what Jesus says, I'm the gate. You see, again, you, you can't read this. You cannot read what Jesus says. And believe in pluralism. If you embrace Christianity. That's not what Jesus taught. I'm the gate. I'm the way in. And then the shepherdness. You see the problem they were having. How can he be both the gate and the shepherd? So he goes on to talk about that. Look down in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's a hired man and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Here he talks about the shepherd. He's also the shepherd. He's, he's the one who lays down his life. Literally, that's what Jesus did. You see how it's becoming clearer and clearer? He lays down his life. But that doesn't end there, does it? What else does he say? Now we come back to where we began and I want to close with that this morning. Come back to where we began. He says, the, the, the statement that got him in such trouble is, I lay my life down. Again, we can step in front of a train. That's not a problem. We can lay our life down. All of you can lay your life down. But you can't take your life back up again. That's what got Jesus in trouble, the second half of that. So what is that about? Well, you think about it. If, if this shepherd lays his life down but doesn't take it back up again, what's going to happen to the sheep? They'll be without a shepherd. The glory of the gospel, the glory of of this one who was both gate and shepherd, is that this shepherd does give his life for the sheep, deals with the sin problem, but he also takes his life up again. He's alive today continues to be the shepherd of the sheep. He continues to watch over his sheep and protect his sheep and provide the abundant life that his sheep 
were promised. That's the God we have. That's the Jesus of the New Testament. That's the Jesus that you either hate or you love. As you begin to see that. And my prayer this morning is that that you are seeing clearer and clearer. That you are loving that Jesus more and more. That as you look at the Gospels week after week, that you see the magnificence of Christ. You see the glory of Christ. You see the glory of the one who, yes, laid his life down, but picked it back up again, took his life back to watch over his sheep. Let's pray together. Father, pray this morning that that you will help us to see, that we will see clearer and clearer the glory of your Son. Father, help us. And I pray this morning, if there's, if there's one out here who, who has not entered through the gate, that even this morning, Lord, they're, they're seeing, even as this blind man is seeing, the gate and they're entering in the gate father and find the safety of Christ Lord I pray that you'll continue to work in us as we see more of the glory of your son in Jesus name Amen let's sing together